This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I'm going to talk about a, a, a subject tonight that's it's an important subject. As a, as a pastor, uh, I have to talk on a lot of different, different subjects, different areas. But I want to talk on the subject tonight, and when I mention it, you might, you might think, I know that. You, you, don't, you really don't ever want to think that way. You don't ever want to think, hey, I know that. Or I've heard that. Here's Alan's theory. This is not backed up by scripture. This is Alan's theory. Catch that? So you don't come to me afterwards and go, I don't agree with you. It's a theory. I have a theory that when we get to heaven, we're still going to continue to study the scripture. Don't be so disappointed. It's going to be, you're going to have some really good, I mean, would you like to hear Paul talk about the book of Romans? I would. I'm like, sign me up for that seminar. I believe we'll be, because God's word is still going to be alive when we get there. We won't have exhausted it. So I think we'll be learning all the time. So if someone stands up and goes, hey, we're going to talk about, if Paul stands up and goes, I'm going to be talking about the, the book that I wrote to the Romans. You don't want to go, heard it. <laughs> know all about it. And yet what, what happens is we live in a, uh, in such an information age that if you're not careful, you can approach Scripture like you approach information that comes at you any other way. You're like, oh, I've heard that. Did you hear the news? No, I heard it. But with God's Word, you really have to stir yourself up to go, okay, even, even though I've heard this, you know, I can always learn more. You know, one of the, one of the first verses I learned growing up was uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own. I was Baptist. They won't even let you out till you learn this verse. <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. What a wonderful verse. Do you know you could take that verse and feed on that and see it in different light and get something different? And so you always, when you approach God's word, don't ever approach it like you approach newspaper or magazine. It's God's word. It's inspired. It's alive. And it can talk to you. Tonight I want to talk about a subject that is important to know. It's, it's real important to know. And it's, it's, I hope I'll be able to get into some of the reasons why. But the subject is, is righteousness. And it's a, it's a powerful thing. My pastor was John Osteen. He wrote a book uh, years and years ago. He called it The Believer's Number One Need. And he was talking about the subject of righteousness. Now, I, I don't know that I'm qualified as the number one need, but I know it's up there. It's a huge theme of the Bible, and it's good for us to understand it. So tonight as I go, I'm, I'm going to do a little doctrinal teaching, and we'll, we'll look at some different things. But I want you to stay with me, because this is a subject that can really help you. And a subject that when you have a good understanding of it, it will really bless you. And even though you may have heard it before, you can always hear it again, and you can always learn more. Here's in, in Romans 1, Paul was writing, and he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If I, if I came to you... Or, and maybe you were sitting down with a group of people, and I said, okay, here's our question for the night. 
how do you get right with God? Now, if you ask just a group of people that, you're going to get some different answers. You know, depending on what kind of background they have, where they've gone to church, where they haven't, or if they haven't gone to church at all. Here's, here's some of the things, that, here's some conventional thinking you get. How do you get right with God? Some people think going to church will get you right with God. Many people believe being good. You hear people say, well, are you going to go to heaven? I've been good. I haven't killed anybody. A grateful society appreciates that. <laughs> and then you hear people talk about obeying the Ten Commandments. Have you heard that? If you obey the Ten Commandments, that's, that's going to... That's going to get you there. That's conventional thinking. Here's God's thoughts. It's not being good. For what's the standard for good? People say, well, I've been good. Well, how good? I've been good. You've been as good as Mother Teresa? You're as good as Joy? That's me out. You're as good as, how about some of the people who are, are martyrs, people who have given their life for the service of the Lord? Are you that good? Is being good good enough? How about this one? Oh, by the way, answer that's no. It's not by going to church. Church is to reach you. It's to equip you. It's to support you. But going to church won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you a car. <laughs> you go to church and you think, well, okay, I've gone to church. That, that makes me right with God. It doesn't. It's good. I strongly suggest it. And a lot of people have come to this church and they weren't right with God when they came in and they were when they left. And so that's a wonderful thing. Now, how about this? Obeying the Ten Commandments. Now we think, okay, well, that, that, that's got to be it. No, that's good, but it's, it's not good enough. There's an old story about a man who died and goes to heaven. Peter met him at the gate. You can tell this is a joke. P Peter met him at the gate. I said, what do I need to do to get in? Peter said, you've got to have 100 points. He said, okay. He said, I, I faithfully attended the art church for 20 years. Peter said, that's great. That's one point. I said, well, I was a faithful tither for all those 20 years. Peter said, wonderful, two points for that. Guy said, I taught children's church. Guy said, wonderful, two points for that. You got five points. Guy said, five points? He said, my gosh. He said, it's only by the grace of God I'm going to get in here. Peter said, right answer. Welcome, come on in. <laughs> it's it's not by keeping the Ten Commandments. That's a good idea. But the bottom line is no one can do it. And so you say, well, this is such good news. But you need to be able to know this. Because people, well, you'll talk to people. And they'll say, well, you know, no, I don't need that. I've been good. Or, you know, I'm, 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 I'll go to church. But you need to know there's, a, there's another word. There's a key word here. We read it, we read it in, the, in the book of Romans. It's called Righteousness. Simply put, righteousness beings, means being right in God's sight by his standards, not man's. Right in God's sight. Now, 
That's available only through faith in Jesus. Look at this verse in, in Acts. Brothers, listen. This is the NLT. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Now, here's, here's the thing, guys. In the back of a lot of people's minds, that joke I told about a man talking to St. Peter, a lot of people still think that, that they're going to go to heaven, they're going to talk to Peter, they're going to hope that their good outweighs their bad. And if it does, they're going to get in. And the bottom line is that's, that's, not, that's not enough. It's, you say, well, you know, I'm better than so-and-so and I'm better than so That's not the standard. It's only through faith in Jesus that our sins can be forgiven. That's it. It's in faith in him. And it's not by works. Now, there are whole groups who base their entire salvation on their works. Someone will knock on your door and they, they, they will walk around and they will, they will talk to you. I leave literature with you. And, uh, but there, it's all works-based. In other words, I'm going to work my way till I'm good enough to get God to accept me. And the thing about it is, you can't get there. Those people would come to our door and Joy would catch them. <laughs> and Joy would always talk to the people they were training and she, and she did that a couple of times, and I watched them when they came through our neighborhood again. They just bypassed our house and went on down the road. It's like, you don't, you because George was real sweet about it, but she's going to tell you the answer is Jesus, not our works. So he's saying that, and listen, this was the big controversy in, in the New Testament when Paul and all these, these disciples started going out and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were talking to people who had based their whole life on keeping the law. And so people think, I'm, I'm going to keep the law. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. If I do all these things, I'm going to be right in God's eyes. And when Paul came in saying, the law of Moses can never get you there. All your good works can never get you there. Now, if you're thinking, well, this is great, Alan. I appreciate you sharing that. That just lets me out of trying to do anything good. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Don't, jump, don't jump the gun on me. Let, let me finish this. But the idea is, works won't get me right with God. It's only faith in Jesus that gets me right with God. And so when, I made, when you made Jesus your Lord, when you said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior, I receive what you've done. Your death, your burial, and your resurrection, I believe that. I receive that. When you did that, the Bible said, all things passed away. All things became new. And you became right in God's eyes. Now, because you're right in God's eyes, we do good things not to be approved of God, but because we're already right with God, and so now we do right things because we are right. But even saying that bothers some people. They're like, I don't know, Alan. You know, there's none righteous, no, not one. Yeah, but read the rest. Until Jesus, until you ask him into your heart, until you made him Lord. And so the idea is being in right standing with God. And you say, well, why is that important? Because so many people feel condemned. 
And the enemy uses condemnation and accusation on God's people. They're talking about, yeah, well, you might have received Jesus, but you are a sorry Christian. I know I'm not the only one that's ever heard that. And you mess up, and you think, oh, the enemy, an enemy that the Bible, the Bible said he's the accuser of the brethren. His whole thing is to keep telling you how bad you are. Because if he can convince you that you're a horrible Christian and that God really doesn't love you, he tolerates you. He loves Justin. He tolerates you. He loves preachers. You are second class. That's a lie. That's a lie. And so understanding that you've been made right in God's eyes, that begins to change things. You begin to realize, I'm not struggling to get God to accept me. I'm not struggling to get God to love me. I've received his son, Jesus. He's made me right with him. I can't do enough to get him to love me. He already has. So now my, my life with him is a response to what he's already done in me. And when I, Alan, what happens when I mess up? Well, not if you mess up, when you mess up. That's why we talked about on Sunday, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that means we get cleansed of the unrighteousness of not being right. We're cleansed. And if we're cleansed, we step right back into his presence to go, Father, I want to thank you. But I can stand here in your presence without that sense of guilt and fear and inferiority because Jesus' blood has cleansed me and washed me and I'm forgiven of my sins and I'm right with you. I don't have to be a preacher. I don't have to work on a church staff. I don't have to, I don't have to do any of that. I have to be exactly who I am and what God's called me to be right here, right now. Righteousness is powerful. It changes things. And um, Paul was talking again. He was writing. Paul had a great revelation of this. In Galatians 2nd chapter, verse 21, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law would make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. You being good enough, if me being good enough, if somebody could do it, Jesus didn't need to die. He died to forgive us our sins and to make us right with God. So, Alan, this is real simple. I know it's real simple, but we need to grasp the simple things. Because too many people walk around condemned and beaten up by the enemy because they missed it or they made a mistake or he compares them or someone else and you're not this and you're not that and that's a lie from the pit of hell. You have a right standing with God. You can stand before him because of the blood of Jesus cleansed and without a sense of guilt or fear or inferiority. Nor do you have to compare yourself with other Christians. Like forget that. So let me give you a little story tonight. It's a great story in the Old Testament that gives us a picture of this. It's a picture of righteousness. It's a picture of grace. And I hope maybe it'll help, help you understand a little bit more about what God has done in you already. It's the story of, of David, King David. King David was the second king of Israel. The first one was Saul. Saul, started off good, became a bad king. Saul had a son called Jonathan. Jonathan 
and David were very close. In fact, they were so close that they formed a, a covenant. They made a covenant together. And, and in the covenant, typically, uh, they would, like, cut their hands and blend blood together. You hear the Indians talk about blood brothers. And they would talk about, they, would, they formed a covenant. And the covenant says, Jonathan, Jonathan, very interesting character in the Bible. Jonathan recognized that David, not Jonathan, David was going to be the king of Israel. And Jonathan said, and I'm going to back you up. He's an amazing man. Jonathan and David were close, and they promised, we're going to take care of one another, we will take care of one another's families. And Jonathan said, when you're king, you, you watch over my family. They made a covenant, loved one another, very close. Jonathan and, his, Jonathan and Saul died in battle. And after a, a little bit of a civil war, David had united all the tribes, and David's now the king of, of Israel, over all of Israel. So let's read what happens. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said to him, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Now, let's talk a little bit about him. David wanted to show the kindness of God to somebody for Jonathan's sake. He didn't know Mephibosheth existed. He just said, I love Jonathan. And I want, to, I want to show somebody in, in Jonathan. Is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Mephibosheth hadn't done nothing to earn David's kindness. Mephibosheth's living in someone else's house. Lodabar sounds like a pretty low-rent place. He's living in a, someone else's house in Lodabar. He's disabled and he's poor. He has to live with somebody else. Yeah, someone else has to take care of him. He's lame in his feet. So there's nothing, that, there's nothing in Mephibosheth that makes David want to go, man, I, I, want, I want to get this guy, man. He's sharp. He's got it going on. No, he doesn't. He doesn't, even live, he doesn't even live in his own house. He has to live with somebody else. He's lame in his feet. That, in that day, there's nothing much you could do. He didn't have anything to offer David. But David went and got him and brought him, and brought him to the palace. So they went and got him. Now, here's, here's the thing about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth had a tainted perspective. You see, when Mephibosheth, he was not born lame in his feet. When he was five years old, they had heard that Saul and Jonathan had died in battle. Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up, began to run with him, and dropped him. 
And when she dropped him, probably dropped him somewhere maybe on his head. Maybe there's a spinal cord injury. But he wasn't born lame. He was dropped lame. She's running not from the Philistines. She's running from, from David. Because Saul had told everyone in that household, David is the enemy. David is horrible. David is trying to kill us all. And she hears that Saul and Jonathan are dead. And she picks up this little guy and starts to roam with him, drops him. And now he's lame. How do you think he grew up? What do you think he, he heard all his life? Why, am I, why can't I walk? From a little boy, he was told, well, we, we were afraid that David was going to kill you. So we had to, we had to run, and, and you got dropped. It's David's fault. It's David's fault. David's horrible. David wants to kill you. So how, how, do you know, how do you know that he, he'd heard that? Because when he comes in to David, he doesn't come in as any subject would to a king and go, he falls on his face. And, and David said, don't be afraid. He's scared of David. He thinks David's his problem. He thinks David's the enemy. So his perspective is there. Then David does, pulls up, of course, then he has a horrible view of himself. He refers to himself as a dead dog. A dead dog such as I. You say, well, I like dogs. Not dead ones. And uh, in that day, dogs weren't the beloved pets that they are today. They a lot of times were a nuisance. And so a dead dog, no value. But then what does David do? David looks at Mephibosheth and he says, my man, good to see you. I'm going to restore to you all the land that your grandfather Saul had. What? How many know kings have a lot of land? He just restored to him all the land. And he gave him Ziba. I'm, I'm, it wasn't in our reading, but he gave him Ziba to be his servant and all his family. Now he's got lands. He's got, he's got servants. He's got income. He doesn't have to live with anybody else. He just, he just became, he just got his barns filled overnight. Bam. Just like that. And then David said, and... Not only that, you're going to eat at my table with all the king's sons. What? At the table. Yeah, all the king. And the king had some boys, some problem boys, but he had some boys. In fact, he had one of them. In fact, they even talked about the king's son, about some of those boys being good looking. They said Absalom was like really good looking. When the Bible says as a man that you're really good looking, you're really good looking. I know exactly how he doesn't feel. So, <laughs> can you imagine Mephibosheth? They're all sitting around the table, all the king's sons, strong, confident group, and they hear, <laughs> here comes Mephibosheth and comes to sit at the table. And the king's sons are looking around like, what? Who is this? And David said, Gentlemen, this is Saul's grandson. He's the son of Jonathan. He's a royal blood. And he sits at our table as a guest from now on. And all the boys went, yes, sir. Welcome, Mephibosheth. Here's some chicken. <laughs> Restoration. 
He didn't do a thing to earn it. He didn't do a thing to deserve it, except he belonged to Jonathan. That's it. Now, could you, how would it have been if Mephibosheth goes in there and sits with those boys one day, and then the next day it's time for dinner, and, and David's looking around, he said, where's Mephibosheth? And uh, the servant comes in and said, oh, sir, Mephibosheth said he does not feel worthy to sit at the table with you and your son, so he's eating in the kitchen with the servants. Do you think that would say, bless David? Oh, that's, that just blesses me. How I many you know that would make him probably angry? Because if you're a king and I just lifted you to a place of honor, what in the world are you doing taking a lower place? If I said you were worthy to sit at the table, you are worthy to sit at the table. Come and have a seat. So, well, what has that got to do with us? It's a beautiful picture of grace. It's a beautiful picture of righteousness. Follow me here. Because of God's love and what Jesus has done, we did not earn a thing. We did not have anything we could offer God. Romans 5.10 says, look at this, says, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We didn't have anything. God didn't look down and see us. He didn't look down and see me and go, oh, Alan is so awesome. <laughs> he is so wonderful. He said that about no one. We didn't have anything to offer. Why did, and then, but still, we didn't have to come to God. The Bible said there's none that seeks God. He came for us. He sent Jesus for us. Just like David sent the chariot to get Mephibosheth, God sent his son, but he didn't send more than a chariot. He sent his very best who died for us. And because he did, we get to continue this. You talk about our perspective. We've often believed that God was our problem. We've often thought, oh God, God's my, the reason I'm this way is because of God. God's never been our problem. And we've often believed that we do not have value. So many people, they may not say it out loud, but they have a dead dog mentality. I'm just, I'm just, you know, you know me, I'm just me. And God said, uh, no, you're not just you. You have enough value that I sent my son for you, which makes you priceless different mentality. And then talk about restoration. <laughs> We've been given a place of right standing with God. And so God says, hey, I want you to come sit at the table. In fact, he, he, in fact we don't even have to sit at the table. We've got a better seat than that. Look at this, Colossians. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What's that telling me? Hey, listen, I'm not just seated at the table. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. So you're talking about welcome. You're talking about lifted up to a higher place. We have an inheritance. God's given us an inheritance. So part of our inheritance is his spirit, his goodness, his grace, his strength, his peace, his provision. There's so much in his inheritance. He's given us an inheritance. He's given us a place. Who are we to come and say, I'm just not worthy. I just don't qualify. 
I've watched these other Christians and I just don't feel like I could ever be like one. They're, they're so awesome and I'm not. And the Lord said, if I made you worthy, if my blood has made you worthy, then you are worthy. You have a seat at the table and you can come and sit with any preacher you want. You can come and sit with any believer you want. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who saved you. And so we come now and we're like, <laughs> we all should be looking around going, Ooh, Lord, thank you. What you've done for me. Don't you know what Phibosheth was like? Oh, boy. I was, a, I was a poor yesterday. I got servants today. Zeba, we're going to drive out tomorrow and see my lands. All oh, this is mine. Ooh. Walking in high cotton now. I'm like, man, this is good. And I get to sit at the king's table and I get to, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer having to crawl around, live with somebody else. I just got made somebody. Mephibosheth got a real good deal. He hit the grace lottery. And so did you. And so did I. And we hit that lottery not because we earned it or not because we got lucky. We hit that lottery because we said, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And because of that, your grace has saved me. You've elevated me. I have an inheritance. I'm not in the kingdom of darkness anymore. Satan has no authority over me. I'm now in your kingdom. I sit with you in a place of power. Thank you for what you've done for me. I don't have to have anybody else pray for me. I can pray myself and you will hear me. Oh, I love this. Righteousness. You can't get excited about this. Forget a ball game and certainly forget the Texans. <laughs> but this is reality. And when we get in heaven, there's not going to be like first class, second class, platinum level, gold level. It's all level. At the further, We all get to walk in and we're all there because of one, because God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. And he shed his blood so we could have forgiveness of sins. Now, the last thing we need to do is tell God, I'm not worthy. I'm such a horrible Christian. I don't know. No, we need to say, Lord, forgive me, but help me rise up to the level of what you've done in me. That's why the Bible said we walk worthy of the Lord. Help me to walk worthy of you. When David told Mephibosheth, he said, and get, your, and get Mephibosheth some different clothes. I can't have Mephibosheth walking around wearing those raggedy old clothes. Walk like you belong in the palace. So why don't you walk like you belong in the kingdom? Instead of walking like, I'm a dead dog. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'm saved by grace. Yeah, well, you're saved by grace. So act like it. And stop acting like you're second class. Inferior. Got to get somebody else to pray for you. You've been made right with God. Now, don't walk out of here and go, I'm right with God. You're not. No, no, no. <laughs> It's because of what he's done. That's why the Bible tells us not to judge. That's why the Bible tells us not to look down on anybody else. That's why the Bible said it, it's, that's why we can have love regardless of what our stations in life are. Because we know what's been done in us. And it's different. Is that a different take on it? Did it help you any at all? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Now I'm talking tonight about the right standing with God that comes through salvation of Jesus Christ. If you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, tonight would be a marvelous night. Heads are bowed, knives are closed. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. But if that's you and you say, you know, Alan, I, I don't know that I've ever made that decision. 
Or, Alan, I've made that decision before, and I, I know I've gotten away from God, and I want to be reunited with him. We're going we're gonna to say a prayer. If one of those situations applies to you, and you want in on this prayer, would you slip your hand up just real quickly across this auditorium and say, Alan, would you, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Anybody else? Wonderful. Thank you for your courage. You can, slip, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Now, if you didn't lift your hand, you can still pray this prayer with us. If you're watching online, listen. Listen, you can pray this prayer with us. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with someone else, pray it quietly, but pray it with us. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. And Father, I also thank you for those who in time past have made a decision to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for your right standing through Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that we've been elevated to a place we could have never gotten on our own. Thank you for your grace. Father, put that spark in us. May we never look at you and think we're inferior because of what Jesus has done. We can stand before you without guilt and fear. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for what you've done for us. Let us live in such a way that we bring you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.